What's up with you? Nothing. Sick. Just chilling. Yeah? Yeah. I'm stoked. Yeah? Yeah. For, for this episode. Yeah, me too. But first, how was your week? It was long. But good. Well, it was long. It was long. But it was good. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Uh, how was your week? I hope <laughs> to God that wasn't caught on audio. <laughs> Butters, Butters is like talking? super duper spicy tonight, and he is being here, spicy with Kadagos. He's like, no. He's like, I'm gonna take the long way around the yeah. animals. Come on, good boy. Yeah, just lay down. Thank you. There you go. Nope, nope, not on my lap. That's where the laptop goes. Okay, here we are. <laughs> are you ready? This is going well. It's very well. <laughs> um, yeah. My week was okay. About the same. I <laughs> I called Jack oh, no. Sunday morning. Because I was like, guess who said they weren't on call, but they are? Oh, uh, that, yeah, that sucked. <laughs> and I was, like, super freaked out because this girl, she hasn't been feeling very well. And she had called out the two nights before. And it was her birthday. And it was her birthday. So I was like, of any of the nights, she's going to call out. This is the night to call out. She didn't totally. Do it. She didn't. And I'm very happy because yeah. that meant I didn't have to go in for another five day week. Yeah. Woo. I, 50 on, hours. On my Oof. Friday, I had two people run for me, which has literally never happened in my whole career. Yeah. Well, super duper annoying. No, you've set a record. So the next time it happens, you're going to be like, where's the other person that's going <laughs> to run for me? Because <laughs> it's so much fun. Yeah, I, I can't happens. imagine. It's like somebody <laughs> hanging up on me. It doesn't feel good. It was weird. <laughs> it was super weird. I was just trying to, this guy was speeding, like very clearly going too fast. So I'm like, I'm going to go pull him over. But I followed him for a minute. And as soon as I got behind him, he like took an immediate turn to like, that was very clearly out of the way because he had gone from going like eight miles an hour to like oh just kidding I'm gonna turn here on Tenth Street like some stupid random street. ass street. I'm like oh boy. So finally I turn my lights on and he just like floors it goes like straight and then turns and then straight and then turns and just like trying to lose me whatever. And like our policy we can't do much with that because it's just traffic right and yeah. like. It puts the, the public in danger right, for what? Right, the balance, like, if he were to run into somebody... And, and kill the, them. And kill them, like, that does not in any way, like, justify the reason why I chased him and kind of made that happen, right? So... But if I, he murdered somebody, that's If he justified. murdered somebody, like, before that and then took off, then obviously, yes. But, so I shut down by kind of, like... I was going to the police department anyways, and it was right over by the police department. So I was still kind of following him. And he just, like, bails out of the car. I My lights aren't on anymore, nothing like that. And I'm just, like, I shut down everything. I was getting ready to clear the call. And he just, like, gets out, pulls over to the wrong side of the road. Nice. Leaves his car in neutral. So it keeps rolling forward. And he bails out of the car. I have no idea where he went. And I'm just, like, well. <laughs> this is what I happened. don't know. He bailed. So I guess I'll go check out. The car? The car. <laughs> it's that like 30 minutes before I'm getting off work on my Friday. Anyways, that was my week, so. <laughs> Good. Good. <laughs> this is my last week, like, coming on. So when this comes out, I will not be working for, like, eight weeks. That's true. Because mm -hmm. you are having 
Bum, top bum, bum. surgery. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm in, like it's... a really cracky voice stage, so. That's okay. It'll probably be like that for a Sorry. while. Yeah. But yeah, I'm getting top surgery on June 2nd, so when this comes out, I will be doped up. No, you won't. It'll be like a couple of days after. Yeah. Will you still be on drugs? I don't know. Hopefully. I don't think so. That'd be all right. Minimal? Come on. It's okay. like two days after, like, pretty invasive surgery. Ibuprofen? Okay. Oh, what? <laughs> Dr. Lincoln? I don't know. <laughs> this isn't Grey's Anatomy. Apparently it is. Anywho. Because you just used the same line that Link just used on Amelia. <laughs> well. <laughs> well, as he really just watched that episode, so. Um, yeah. Super excited. Super duper excited. nervous, but yeah, it's going to be dope. Well, I'll be there for you. Sick. Also, we're getting married tomorrow, so. <gasps> we're getting, well, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. We'll see what I happens. I take my new name, so we'll see. But yeah, just because with everything going on, it's been a pain in the ass to get anything done with Social Security. You can't do anything else with your name change without Social Security. Yeah, so. It's just been a pain in the ass. I've got, like, my court order for my name change, and we're hoping they take that. So that Sammy doesn't have to, like, petition a court to change her name because it was pretty expensive. Just pain in the ass. I don't think we'll do it if they don't take my I don't name. think so either. So. I don't think so either. Hopefully right. they don't make us pay them for. They will. Denying them. Oh, for d- denying for us it? denying them. Oh, no. Sue me. Go ahead. That's civil. So what we're going to talk about is. For the whole For month this whole month. June. Is really shitty shit. That changed the world. Very important things that changed how we live. Very important and awful and sad and yes. heartbreaking and tragic and traumatic things, but important that changed the world. So buckle on up. Yes. I'm excited. I'm excited. I think you're up first. I'm so... I don't... <laughs> I wish I wasn't starting this one. I can start it. It doesn't matter. Do you mean start it? No, it's okay. I don't care. No, no it's Okay. I am talking about... We're both talking about World War II. World War II but specifics. Subsections we were going. we have chosen. Yeah, we went, like, back and forth about, like, should we do the whole war? Should we not do the whole war? Do you, I'm gonna... I'm there's... really interested in this. I'm really interested in this. And it's, like, back and forth because it's, like, it's so much. And there are entire podcasts with seasons on seasons on seasons that have been going for years that about World go War II. into World War II specifically. Yeah. So, no. We're yeah. not gonna do that because that would that's not enough. And yeah, it's not our thing. We're just like here's the highlights. Mm-hmm. Not really highlights, kind of low lights, but like entertaining and historic. Sick, right? I personally am talking about something that is interesting to me, which is Pearl Harbor. Dope. I'm stoked. So hopefully we all know about the per- the, the Pearl Harbor <laughs> about the, the bombing of pearls. <laughs> <laughs> no, about the bombing of Pearl Harbor. Good. Otherwise, this is awkward. But I'm going to start before that, and I want to kind of lead into what the like of the attack, and also like the relationship between Japan and the U.S. before the bombing, because it was really shitty. <laughs> If you didn't know. <laughs> I mean... I didn't know. I just thought Japan hated us, which makes sense, because we were shitbags to them. We tend to be shitbags Yeah, but I mean, we kind of started Americans. it, too. I don't know. Unlike what I knew about Pearl Harbor, Japan and the U.S. have been feuding and on the brink of war, essentially, for, like, 
decades. Mm -hmm. And Japan had issues with being isolated. That is what happens to, like, island countries, I suppose. Or not... Are they country? They're a continent. No, they're not. I know. I know geography. They're a country. (laughs) So they were being pretty aggressive towards other countries, especially China, because uh, the Japanese government thought that the only way to solve their economic and demographic problems was to expand into other countries and territories and take over their, like, land and import markets. Yeah, didn't they, like... Remember in a class I took, they talked about Japan did something with a train in China. It was like some, it was either some faked thing or they caused some like railway accident, something that had to do with like commerce and something right before the war that like Hmm. gave them reason, gave Japan or faked them some reason to hate China. Go ahead. Keep Maybe. Going. I didn't yeah. read about that, but I I, I, there was so much was. between China and Japan that like I couldn't even begin to go into Ooh, detail, yeah. but I'm going to try to go in. Like, yeah. Feud. Right. So just, again, obviously what Jack just said, I didn't even touch on my research, so that's just how much it was like focused on like Pearl Harbor related, mm-hmm. not just World War II related. Yeah. So if I miss some things that like people are like more familiar with, with Japanese and history in general, hit like, us up. please hit us up. I would love to like add to this, mm-hmm. but like right now, like I, this is going to be a long episode already, so I'm sorry. So what I cover is just kind of basically a brief summary and I'm, yeah, anyways. So Japan were pretty successful with two wars already. Um, one was against China from 1894 to 1995. Mm-hmm. And the Russian Empire, which it was coined the Russo-Japanese War, which was also known as mm-hmm. World War Zero. Weird. And that went from 1904 to 1905. And if you're interested in that, that was this whole thing on its own. And I was like, I, can, I can't even summarize this because... Yeah, apparently that was a big thing. And in 1910, they uh, had already successfully annexed Korea. Mm -hmm. And also, 1914 and 1918, they were successful in World War I when fighting with the Allies. So they were pretty full of themselves. They were like, we are part of the undefeated. We are very strong. We're very smart. We're very intelligible. Right. So during the Great Depression in the 1930s, Japan tried to solve its demographic and economic issues, as I mentioned before, by trying to take over China. And in 1931, Japan started this battle with the invasion of, and I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing this, Manchuria? Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Um, However, a representative from the League of Nations condemned the invasion and Japan withdrew from the organization. They basically were like, you don't like this? Fuck you. We're going to do it anyways. <laughs> Sounds right. However, Japan would occupy Manchuria until 1945, to which <laughs> then in 1937, Japan declared war on China again. And that war resulted in the Nanking Massacre, which was the most fucked up because they killed thousands and thousands of people, like slaughtered them and raped them and then slaughtered them. It was fucked up. Basically, the Nanking Massacre, like I said was fucked up, but it was basically during a period of six weeks in late 1937 where the Imperial Japanese Army murdered hundreds and thousands of civilians, so not just soldiers who were battling with them. They took civilians, and in the, it was in the Chinese city of Nanking, which I believe is pronounced Nanjing. I don't know. I put both pronunciations in there, so I hope one of them is right. And there's, like I said, so much more. Please do not look at it if... <laughs> 
you're already offended by the things that I said, because it's way worse. <laughs> so, but because Japan did that, the U.S. put tons of sanctions and trade embargoes on Japan. America did this hoping that if they took away Japan's access to money and goods, such as oil, which is very important since they're an island that cannot produce oil, or at least not enough oil to support mm-hmm. an island. Right. They were hoping that Japan would be like, you know what? We're sorry. We need these things. We'll chill out, you know? Which, it should have worked, but it didn't. Because Japan's imports that came from the United States alone was 55.4% of their goods. Oof. That's a lot. That's a lot. That isn't it? But they still were like, mm, fuck you, we're going to do it anyways. So, for months, Tokyo and Washington went back and forth with negotiations, but no one would budge. So, everybody was just kind of like, fuck you, no, fuck you, no, fuck you. (laughs) So, unfortunately, in 1948, Japan signed the Tripartite Pact with Germany and Italy, which solidified the Axis powers in World War II. Um, And eventually, Hungary joined the Axis alliance shortly after in November. So, this pact essentially formally got the three countries together to all focus on America, which was still neutral. And essentially, they wanted to scare America so much that we wouldn't side with the allies. Huh. They wanted us to basically, I guess, essentially join them. Mm-hmm. So, with their resources cut off and now part of the Axis, Japan intruded into French Indochina, which were the resources were that they needed. And they did this with permission from Nazi-occupied France. Sick. Yeah, super sick. So they got what they wanted along with the resources from British Malaya and the Dutch East Indies. So like other um, occupied countries and locations. This act caused FDR to freeze all Japanese assets in the U.S. Yeah, he's like, fuck this. Yeah, literally. And that happened on July 26th of 1940. So then that made Japan to plan its, quote, southern operation. Which was a massive military attack that had several targets, such as the Great Britain's naval facility in Singapore and American facilities in the Philippines and Pearl Harbor. Doing this would clear a path for them to conquer the Dutch East Indies. So it was all just one big way so that they can take over the Pacific. Mm-hmm. Um, November 26th of 1941, the U.S. gave the Japanese a quote, 10-point statement, end quote. Because basically, (laughs) I think they were like, one, if you do this, you don't get this. Two, if you do this, we won't get that. Like, listing out all these things, like Mm -hmm. maybe conditions or something. I didn't read it, so I'm probably wrong. But like, either way, if I got a 10-point statement from you about everything that I was doing wrong, I wouldn't listen to it. Basically, just, they just wanted them to stop. But the Japanese Imperial Navy ordered Instead, a fleet of warships, 414 planes that were on six aircraft carriers, and they wanted those to set sea. For some reason, though, I found this report of numbers. When it actually came to the attack on Pearl Harbor, there was only reported of four aircraft carriers and around 360 planes. So I'm not sure where the rest of this Imperial Army went, if they were doing other things with, like I said, the uh, Philippines and... Wherever I said that the Great Britain was, Singapore, 
Maybe. I don't know. But for total, let's just talk about Pearl Harbor for a second. There was a grand total of 40 torpedo planes, 103 level bombers, 131 dive bombers, and 79 fighter planes. That's the 360 planes. And then as well as their water reinforcements, which included two heavy cruisers, 35 subs, two light cruisers, nine oilers, two battleships, and 11 destroyer ships. That's insane. (laughs) That's just so crazy to me. Anyways, so the large fleet were following plans that were devised by Admiral Yamamoto Isoroku. Uh, Fun fact, Admiral Yamamoto had studied at Harvard and served as Japan's naval attache in Washington, Mm D.C. So he had some insider information, Mm -hmm. I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Um, Yamamoto said that his inspiration came from a book, The Great Pacific War, written in 1925 by Hector Bywater and the desire for a historic attack. So he's like, this book has some pretty good shit and we want to make history. So the book describes a clash between the U.S. and Japan that starts with the Japanese destruction of the U.S. Pacific Fleet and then goes on to Japan attacking Guam and the Philippines. On top of that, Yamamoto was convinced that it could happen after the success of the British Royal Air Force that had attacked the Indian fleet in Toronto on November 11th of 1940. So Mm -hmm. they were like, this can be done. Britain just did it. It's in this book that is written by a British naval authority. Yeah, so we're going to do it. Yeah, they were like, this guy knows what he's talking about. He knows how military works. He knows all of these Mm -hmm. things. It has to work. So Yamamoto was given this idea, and it was officially planned by Captain... Genda Minoru, which leads us to 1941. Why, of all places, Pearl Harbor? It's literally just for location. Mm-hmm. It's close. Yes. Pearl Harbor is a, if you don't know, U.S. naval base near Honolulu on the island of Oahu in Oahu. Hawaii. I'm talking too fast. Oahu? Oahu. Just say Oahu. Oahu. Yeah. Yeah. I need to slow down. So, Pearl Harbor is pretty close to the middle of the Pacific Ocean, with being about 2,000 miles from the mainland, which is most of America, and 4,000 miles from Japan. Mm -hmm. So, when thinking about the big scheme of things, I guess no one thought that there would be an attack on a smaller, distant island of Hawaii when there were other, like, bigger fish to fry on U.S. mainland, which would make sense. However, not when we have so many military bases in Hawaii, as well as, like, a vast majority of our Pacific fleet there. So they just didn't think about that, I guess. On top of that, during World War II, before the U.S. was involved, American intelligence officials were pretty confident that any Japanese attack would take place in a nearby European colony in the South Pacific. So such as what we mentioned before, the Dutch, East Indies, Singapore, or Indochina. They were like, nah, Hawaii's not... here. Yeah. Yeah. Why right. would they go to Hawaii? Yeah. So, with that information, even with rising tensions, with the idea that Japan might attack because we kept flipping them off, American military leaders were not expecting the attack that close to the United States, let alone on our own soil. Right. Because of that, naval facilities in Pearl Harbor were relatively undefended, and it's most unfortunate because the Pacific Naval Base was super important there. So I'm not sure if this is how it usually was or whatever, but according to History.com, almost the entire Pacific fleet was moored around Ford Island in the harbor, Mm -hmm. which 
would make sense. And there were hundreds of airplanes that were squeezed into nearby um, airfields. So this made Pearl Harbor way too easy of an attack. Everything was just kind of like condensed right there, mm-hmm. picture perfect, pick, 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 and they're gone. Yeah. So... Like I said, with the Pacific Fleet in one small area, Japan's plan was to destroy it all so that they wouldn't be able to fight back as Japan's forces spread across the South Pacific. After months of planning, on December 7th, 1941, Japan took their shot. The Japanese war fleet left Hitokapu Bay and then went en route to Pearl Harbor. At 6 in the morning, the first wave of Japanese planes flew off the four carriers, and then the second wave flew off an hour later, around okay. 7.02 in the morning, two radar operators in Hawaii noticed large groups of aircraft flying towards Oahu from the north. But they were expecting a flight of B-17s from the mainland around the same time. Right. So they were like, that's probably them. And also, on top of that, a lieutenant was listening to the radio. Apparently, this was a thing that they did then, and he could hear Hawaiian music playing on their station, which was a signal that American aircrafts were coming to Hawaii. So, I'm not sure if Japan knew of that, and they were playing Hawaiian music. Hmm. But regardless, nobody sounded any alarms. They were like, it has to be the B-17s. At the orders of Captain Mitsuo... That's not right. Mitsu? Fushida? The hundreds of pilots spotted Oahu land, and they got into their attack positions around 7.30. The Japanese radios were silent, like, completely silent. They didn't say anything. They did not want anything to be given away, essentially. So just before 8 o'clock in the morning, when Fushida broke the silence to shout Tora, 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 which Mm -hmm. meant tiger, 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 Mm -hmm. when he was above one of the U.S. ships, that... Radio silence that was broken signified that, A, it was a surprise attack. America, we were dumb. We had no idea. They succeeded. And now we're going to attack. So from Ford Island at 7.58, so we're going to back up a little bit, the command center sent out a radio alert, quote, air raid Pearl Harbor, this is not a drill, end quote. But by the time it reached Pearl Harbor, it was obviously too late. Mm-hmm. So, unfortunately, at 7.55, the 360 Japanese warplanes already took over the Pearl Harbor sky and were bombing and shooting the ships, the planes, and all the people below. At 8.10, a 100, nope, that's not right, 1,800-pound bomb collided into the USS Arizona and ended up landing on the ship's Ford ammunition magazine, which literally made the ship just explode with more than a 1,000 sailors inside of it. Torpedoes then attacked the USS Oklahoma, where there were 400 sailors aboard, and the ship ended up rolling to one side and then sinking into the water. Mm-hmm. And those are just literally some quick highlights. I'm going to go over everything that was destroyed. So, with a grand total of 1 hour and 15 minutes of the attack. That's it. Less than two hours. Yep. Five of the eight battleships, three destroyers, and seven other ships either sunk or were severely damaged... And, uh, again, mm-hmm. in less than two hours, Japan destroyed nearly 20 ships and 300 planes, as well as dry docks and airfields. But the most sad part about this is that 2,403 sailors, soldiers, and civilians were killed and 1,000 were wounded. Plus side is that Japan lost 30 planes, 5 midget subs, and fewer than 100 men. 
which is not bad if you ask me for, like, a surprise attack. Sure. Like, it's a good thing we got any at all, right. in my opinion. Mm. So the only silver lining to this awful thing that happened to us is that one of the most valued vessels during World War II was aircraft carriers. Mm-hmm. To which, conveniently, all... Every single one of the Pacific Fleet's carriers were either on the mainland or delivering planes to troops on Midway or Wake Islands. Mm-hmm. So none of them were on Pearl Harbor on the 7th. Thank goodness. Yeah. Holy shit. Literally. So on top of that, the base's most vital, like, onshore facilities, such as, like, oil storage, repair yards, shipyards, submarine docks, etc., those were still intact as well, which in turn caused Japan's attack to essentially be a failure. Because, yeah, they broke some of these ships. They did this. They did that. But I don't know where I put this in here. Somewhere. So I might reiterate. Some of the ships, I think there were only two of the ships that, like, were completely, severely so damaged they were unrepairable, being Mm -hmm. the USS Arizona and the Oklahoma. The rest of them, for the most part, got repaired and went back to war. So, like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. (laughs) The fucked up part is that not only could this have not been so devastating if the radar operators didn't think it was a fleet of B-17s, but Washington had also deciphered a message that told its officials that an attack was imminent on Pearl Harbor just moments before the first wave of Japanese pilots took the skies. However, a, quote, communications delay prevented the warning from reaching Pearl Harbor in time. Do you want to know what that communication delay was? Tell me. The operator who received it and deciphered the message sent it to her boss. Oh, my It was God. a Sunday. So the boss said, uh, I'll look into it Monday. Oh, my God. Yep. So that's fine. Also, apparently, Japan wanted to declare war before the attack, but the message was delayed and not relayed to the U.S. until the attack had already started. Mm-hmm. They apparently didn't want to violate the first article of the Hague Convention at ni- of 1947. Nope, 1907, which I think is hilarious after they've just been, like, middle finger but every other thing they've joined part of, but it's fine. FDR learned about the attack that day as he was finishing lunch and preparing to check out and update his stamp collection. So, how shitty. Wow. <laughs> um, the next day, on December 8th, as we all know, FDR gave a speech to which we can all remember the infamous line, yesterday, December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy, the U.S. of A. That's what I put in my notes. I'm going to restate it. <laughs> U.S. of A. <laughs> could, you, could you imagine FDR saying mm, U.S. of A. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Get your shit together. (laughs) So the next day, December 8th, FDR gave a speech to which we can all remember the infamous lines, quote, Yesterday, December 7th, 1941, a day which will live in infamy, the United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. And he goes on. I'm not going to say all of it, except for this next part. He continues on later saying, quote, No matter how long it may take us to overcome this premeditated invasion, the American people and the righteous might will win through absolute victory. I believe I interpret the will of Congress and the people when I assert that we will not only defend ourselves to the utmost, but will make very certain that this form of treachery shall never endanger us again, end quote. So, fun fact. Obviously, after he 
said basically we're going to war, he asked permission to go to war. Yeah. <laughs> so Congress obviously had to approve. Yeah, at that point. Yeah. <laughs> the Senate vote was 82 to 0, so they were 100% for it. The House vote was 388 to 1. Mm. And do you want to know that one person yeah. that denied it? Yeah. Uh, Representative Jeanette Rankin of Montana, who is a devout pacifist, who also voted against the U.S. going into World War One. So I think she was just, like, very strong and deliberate with her belief. Sure. But apparently everybody else was like, nope. Which America definitely also cited for that. 97% of Americans approved for us to go to war. Hmm. Isn't that insane? Yeah. So, now, the United States was part of World War II. We declared war on Japan. To which, three days later, after we declared war on Japan, Germany and Italy were like, you know what? We declare war on you, America. And so then we were like, yeah, same to you, bucko. We oh are, God. we hate you too. Bucko. <laughs> That's not how yeah, it went. Yeah, you. It's <laughs> mm. <laughs> not how it went at all. But basically, everybody just started declaring war on everybody. Right. Um, which led to the fateful battle of midday, where, I'm only talking about this because it has to do with Pearl Harbor, U.S. got its revenge. We were like, Ha 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 ha. Those aircraft carriers that you didn't destroy. Stuff than you. <laughs> no. We were like, those aircraft carriers you tried to destroy? Well, guess what? <laughs> they just killed you, Japan. You were the worst. I know. What was that? I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, those aircraft carriers aided in reversing the tide in the invincible Japanese army, or I'm sorry, navy, by winning the battle a mere six months after Pearl Harbor. So, definitely a, I don't know, retribution if I would say so. Oh, yeah. So, also, Pearl Harbor had a drastic effect on one of the most, another pivotal thing of World War II, the Manhattan Project. Mm -hmm. So the first meeting of the Manhattan Project after Pearl Harbor was on December 18th, 1941, only 11 days after the attack and a nine full days of being at war. The S-1 committee of Manhattan Project changed the Manhattan Project from just being research phase to full development phase. They went from being like, we're just going to keep sketching this on paper to like, no, we need to put... We're doing this. We need to put our paper into real life. Like, we need to move faster. Soon after Pearl Harbor, Japan attacked a bunch of other places, like I said they were going to, that the Allies held territory over, such as Philippines, Guam, Midway Island, Wake Island, Malaya, and Hong Kong. A lot of lives were lost, including Americans. But with all that fucked up shit that Japan did, it's noted that the devastating losses from Pearl Harbor and the Bataan Death March were cited as justification for the atomic bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Yikes. So, yeah. Um, chat. President Truman made a statement that told Americans of the bombing of Hiroshima on August 6, 1945, stating, quote, The Japanese began the war from the air at Pearl Harbor. They have been repaid manyfold. End quote. Yep. Totes. They've been paid. Yep. They've been more than paid mm-hmm. manyfold. You literally destroyed everything. Yep. But 
this is the part where I'm going to try not to cry. <laughs> I was taking these notes and I literally was sitting there at work like, do you guys cry when you hear sad stuff? And they're like, yeah, why? What kind of sad stuff? And I was like, you know, like, uh, like people. Like, like Harbor and stuff. <laughs> and I was like, can we just talk about something else for a second? You like um, brought it up. <laughs> yeah, because I felt crazy like sitting there at my computer desk, like, <laughs> welling up in tears. <laughs> um. So I just want to talk about some heroes of Pearl Harbor. One was Samuel Fuqua. <laughs> I keep thinking of Lord Farquhar from Shrek, right. which is definitely not his name, but I don't know why that makes me think it's of him. Similar. Anyways, he was a 42-year-old lieutenant at the time. I'm um, sorry, lieutenant commander, having breakfast when the air raid sirens uh, on the USS Arizona first sounded at 755. Mm-hmm. So he was on the ship. Samuel rushed to the quarter deck to find enemy fire, clearly, and soon he got knocked out because a bomb fell too close mm-hmm. to him. He, like, knocked the fuck mm-hmm. out. So once he regained his consciousness, he began directing firefighting operations, even after the bomb had dropped that landed on the ammunition magazine that exploded everything mm-hmm. that caused a thousand men to die. There were still burned and injured men rushing to the deck to evacuate as it's sinking. And Samuel never faulted. He never ignored the gunfire. He kept rescuing and helping men from the ship. And Samuel was the most senior surviving officer on the USS Arizona and one of the last men to abandon ship. Wow. With two fellow officers, Samuel helped commandeer a boat through heavy fire because there was oil in the water that I'm sure was like maybe burning. Yeah. I don't know how that works, but I can't imagine that it's fun. Um, while sim- simultaneously picking up survivors on the way. So wow. Titanic should have taken some notes, even sure. though it's backwards in the sure. history timeline. But either way, he later won a Medal of Honor for his actions and was promoted to Rear Admiral when he retired in 1953. So he wow. survived the war. Chief Wartender... That's the title, apparently. I know nothing about military, so I'm really sorry. All of these titles... The Navy is, like, totally different. Is it? Yeah. I'm so sorry. So, Chief War Tender... Nope, that's not even right. Chief Water Tender. There's too many T's in there. Um, Peter Tomic. He was 48 years old, and he was an Austria-Hungary immigrant and a World War I veteran. He was aboard the USS Utah that was being struck by torpedoes and soon began to falter to one side as water flooded into the hole, uh, like the Titanic, to which Peter ordered his crew to abandon ship. And he was over the engineering people, mm. so he wasn't, mm. like, the whole ship commander. He was right. just under, like, I mean, well, over the, the water engineers. tender, so. A water tender. <laughs> that can't be right. It's what my notes said. That's what <laughs> History.com told okay. me about these heroes, yeah. so. It's their fault. He was... <laughs> Seeing over the engineers. So once his men were off the ship, Peter then went back onto the ship and secured the boilers by himself mm. because he knew that if those were still open and on, that They're if there was, screwed. yeah, if mm-hmm. anything happened, it was going to explode mm-hmm. like the USS Arizona for sure. different reasons. Um, and that would have taken even more lives. The USS Utah then sank just minutes later. And unfortunately, Peter and 58 men were still on, on board. Posthumously, Peter was awarded the Medal of Honor for his actions, but oddly, the military was unable to find any of his family members to claim the award. Hmm. Until 2006. Wow. Yeah. 65 years later, almost, the award was finally presented to a family member in Split, Croatia. 
Wow. Jesus. Yeah. He had family everywhere, apparently. <laughs> Good for him. It's really sad, but, I mean, if he hadn't secured those boilers, a yeah. lot more than, what, what what did I say, like 50, 60 mm-hmm. people would have lost? Yeah. Next, we're going to talk about second lieutenants George Welch and Kenneth Taylor, who were sleeping off a fun night of partying. Good job, LTs. Good job. <laughs> um, when the bombing started and the attack started, so they threw on their formal tuxedo pants from the night before because it was like a fancy party. Right. And uh, they hurried to join the firefight. They got into Kenneth's Buick and Dodge. Japanese bullets and bombs, and they reached Haleiwa. The fun fact, they were the first American pilots that were airborne in their P-40 fighter planes. In their tuxedo pants. In their tuxedo pants. And they were two against hundreds. Good lord. Yep. Uh, against all odds, Kenneth and George fought a good fucking fight. Uh, good enough to land at Wheeler Airfield once to replenish their ammo before going back and joining the battle. And by that time, there right. were more people fighting mm-hmm. with them, so it wasn't so bad. But, like, yeah, <laughs> imagine going on a... I oh, cannot. my goodness. <laughs> this is why I do podcasts. So, by the time the attack ended, George and Kenneth had taken down at least six Japanese fighter and bomber planes combined. So, I mean, that doesn't sound like a whole lot, but in the grand scheme of things, it's better than none. They did something. I couldn't have gone even one, so... Especially since I looked up those P-40 fighter planes, it's one person for per plane. Yeah. So you're driving yeah. and shooting yeah. and loading. Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> no. No. That's yeah. impossible. Yeah. For the longest time, I thought they were both in one plane and one guy was shooting and the other guy was driving. No. That's not right. <laughs> no. So <laughs> that's awful. I couldn't do that. Even more reason why I'm doing a podcast. Um, <laughs> they were both awarded. And not even for our job. <laughs> Uh, they were both awarded the Distinguished Service Cross, and Kenneth was awarded a Purple Heart for a wound he received when his P-40 was struck by gunfire. Jeez. Yeah. And they survived. Is that crazy? Yeah. So crazy. This guy is going to really... I'm going to try really hard not to cry for him. History.com had his name in as Doris, but when I looked at the Census Bureau, like census.gov files and stuff like that they called him dory so i'm gonna go with the dot gov because i feel like that's more yeah correct than mm-hmm. history.com right i'm judging it based only on the ending of a website yeah yeah you'd think the same right dot gov yeah okay so dory miller was on the uss west virginia when it was struck by bombs and torpedoes like every other ship sadly because Dory was black. He often was stuck as a cook or a laundry attendant on the ship. Basically, was just kind of like a, hey, go do this really shitty job because we don't like the color of your skin. It's fucked up. Yep, especially after you hear what he has done to save those people's lives. Um, on December 7th, he was one of the ship's most important crew members. Dory did a lot of shit. He had a larger build because he is also an amateur boxer. And because of that, he sprinted to the quarter deck and helped move injured and mortally wounded sailors off the ship and into safety. He did that several times, and then Dory helped pass ammunition to the crews of the 50 caliber machine guns. So he he was, like, saving people. He's like, oh, yeah, here's some clips for you, or some rolls of bullets. Even with no official weapons training, Dory ended up manning one of the machine guns himself and shot away at the Japanese fighter planes that were on the ship 
like bees on honey. Good you know? lord. Yes. He did that for about 15 minutes until he and the rest of the crew were ordered to abandon ship. Dory was the first African-American to be awarded the Navy Cross. Wow. He toured the country to promote war bonds after that. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, this is just my assumption. I have nothing to Prob back this died. up. No, not yet. As he was doing his promotion to war bonds, he was hailed as a, a hero of war in the black press. So I think what America did was probably... Put what? his war tour around Why those black him? communities to try to get money from them. Oh. Because he was hailed as a war hero from them. Oh. That's yeah. fucked up. That's what I think. Yeah, I wouldn't I assume that it would be that far off. That's super fucked. Yeah. Anyways. um makes you sad. It does make you sad. Because, like, he should be a war hero everywhere. Not just in the black community. Like, mm-hmm. but... I wish I could go back in time and just change everything, but we can't. So we have to talk about it and we have to realize that was fucked up and we have to do better. So that's all I'm going to say. Anyways, eventually Dory was reassigned to an escort carrier called Liscombe Bay, to which he sadly died along with 646 crewmen when the ship was attacked and sank in 1943. Damn. Yeah. Great at the end. Yeah, literally. So fucking close, I'm sure. Okay. Next, Chief Petty Officer John Finn was laying in bed, like a lot of people, when Japanese fighter planes approached. Oh, I'm going to picture this. Can Iohi Bay? Yeah. <laughs> uh, air station, which was 15 miles northeast of Pearl Harbor. So because the planes, the Japanese planes were coming from the north, they reached his bay air station first before they got right. to Pearl Harbor. So he was one of the first one to join the fight. Right. He put on some clothes and got his 30 caliber machine gun and pull, pull oh my gosh, and pulled it into an open area and started to shoot at the planes for two and a half hours. Yeah, boy. Probably didn't do dick squat. I, who knows? <laughs> who fucking knows? It's believed that he may be responsible for destroying at least one plane. But I mean, like with a yeah. thirty caliber machine gun against a plane mm-hmm. so high in the sky, yeah. it's hard. Yeah, I can imagine. Mm-hmm. Honestly, anyways. So, so like I said, going he, for like fifty cal minimum. Right, totally against a plane. Mm-hmm. But I mean, that's all he had, I think. Yeah. Anyways, John suffered injuries, lots of them, such as a total of twenty wounds by getting hit by bullets, shrapnel, good lord, <laughs> like various things during the firefight. One of the shots left him with a broken foot and another completely disabled his left arm. <sighs> he got medical treatment but ended up going back later the same fucking day to help out with arming American planes. Nope. He's like, oh, are you done like splinting my shit? I gotta go back. <laughs> I'm in a lot of pain, but it's fine. How much help are you going to be at that point? I don't know. <laughs> okay. But John ended up getting a Medal of Honor, the only mm-hmm. one who got it for specifically the combat action that he did. Wow. Everybody else got it because they were saving lives, like right. pulling people off of ships mm-hmm. and stuff like that. John outlived the war, and he died at 100. Wow. I don't know what year that was, but he really... Aged well for yeah, having his no shit. fucking shit fucked up. Yeah. He was up. Yeah. So now we're going to talk about one of the civilians that helped change the tides in Pearl Harbor. I think this guy did a bomb-ass job. His name is George Walters. He was a dockyard civilian worker who manned a rolling crane that mm. was near the dry-docked USS Pennsylvania. 
when the battle happened, George literally climbed into his 50 foot fucking crane and he made that thing this what he's like i'll do i'll just do this he got in that crane and moved it back and forth on the track which effectively shielded the ship from low-flying planes from like their gunshots their bombs everything he even used the crane's boom which i'm assuming is like the the thing that you can move Mm -hmm. yeah to hit the planes from the sky good like holy shit at first when he started doing this the soldiers on the uss pennsylvania who were trying to fire back they were like dude you're in our way like what are you doing like get the fuck out of the way and then they realized what he was doing and not only that oh wait you're cool (laughs) yeah not only that because he had the 50 foot advantage he could see the planes coming and what where they were coming from so they used his crane as a guide Mm -hmm. as to where to shoot so Mm -hmm. they probably took down a whole lot more than everybody else because they had a much better guide i guess it's a good way to put it um george did this until a bomb exploded and he ended up with a concussion and i'm assuming it knocked his fucking crane over yeah but it's thought that his actions saved the uss pennsylvania from total destruction if you look at pictures of it there's just like the front end of it's kind of fucked up but the rest of it's in pretty good condition compared to like other ships it went this whole act of his went unnoticed until 1957 after the war's even over, and his story was featured in Walter Lord's book, Day of Infamy. That's wow. just so crazy to me. He saved so many lives. Yeah. Whatever. And it is important to note that he is one of many civilians to aid the military when the attack on Pearl Harbor. A lot of civilians rushed to help. It wasn't just him. Yeah, it was their island that was... Yeah, literally. Yeah. Chief Boatswain Edwin Hill... He was 47 years old, and once the attack started, Edwin, with the help of other crew members, went through the firefight and into the water to cut the moorings that held the USS Nevada to Fort Island. The USS Nevada, because of this, was the only ship from the Pearl Harbor battleship row to run for open water. Edwin swam through the oil-filled water and back onto the ship to help the fight. Edwin directed an ammunition train, but being the only ship sailing, they became a very quick target. Mm -hmm. The captain opted to beach the ship to not end up sunken like many other ships, and Edwin was on the forecastle, which is like the king of the world kind of shit. He was on the very front part, um, trying to drop the anchor when bombs fell onto the deck, and unfortunately Edwin basically died instantly. The USS Nevada survived the attack and even assisted with the Normandy invasion in 1944. Mm -hmm. Edwin was posthumously awarded the Medal of Honor. And then we're to my last story. Second Lieutenant Phil Rasmussen was 23 years old and sleeping again, like everybody else. (laughs) Good job, Um, I know. He was at Wheeler Field when the attack started, but the field had been bombed. Phil ran out and found an undamaged P-36 still on the runway. He was in his pajamas, but Phil was like, I don't give a fuck. I'm just yeah. going to board this plane and we're going to go. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was four against 11, apparently, in Wheeler area. I don't fucking know. That's just what history.com told me and phil was at a disadvantage his plane was slower and harder to maneuver than the japanese but he ended up shooting one down and crippling two others that's when two japanese planes squared up to his and started shooting which left about do you want to guess how many bullet holes i i don't know 500 wow 
500 bullet holes hit this guy's plane. That's a problem. And he kept flying. He's like, it's fine. He's like, it's totally fine. And then another plane tried to ram into Phil's plane, but he, like, narrowly missed him. Oh, my God. I know. What a day. Somehow, Phil landed his plane with no brakes, no canopy, no rudders, and no tailwheel. He's How? like, well, any flight is easy after this. <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, he got a silver star and stayed in the Air Force for 24 years before retiring as a colonel. Good lord. Mm-hmm. Badass. There's a memorial um, for Pearl Harbor and, I guess more specifically, the USS Arizona in Oahu, which marks the final resting place of 1,102 of the 1,177 military personnel that were killed on the USS Arizona during Pearl Harbor. Like I said, the memorial also includes all others that lost their lives that day. Fun fact, December of 2016, Shinzo Abe became the first sitting Japanese prime minister to visit Pearl Harbor. In doing so, he stated, quote, we must never repeat the horrors of war again, end quote. Oops. So now I'm going to take a completely different turn. Sick. And we're going to talk about some spooky haunting shit. Yes. Yeah? Yes. Uh, visitors that go to the memorial almost always report the feeling of tremendous amount of sadness, like sudden sadness, extreme pain, or are extremely terrified for no reason. Ooh. Yeah. That's the one that gets me, like being scared. Mm-hmm. Like I can understand sadness. Like mm-hmm. I feel sad, like just looking at a dog yeah. on a commercial. You know what I yeah. mean? So like going to a place where like so many people died yeah. and like learning the history behind yeah. it and like being there i can imagine that feeling the visitors whoo i skipped three bullets um <laughs> Woo. Woo, Ronnie. Sorry. Woo. <laughs> she's knocked out no. um, so that's just like feelings that everybody has the pacific aviation museum at pearl harbor is apparently very haunted the museum has more than 30 antique aircrafts and exhibits visitors hear unexplained footsteps voices and a mannequin that apparently moves on its own that that one's that creepy sucks. <laughs> yeah and in 2012 it was featured on an episode of ghost adventures no nope. big okay, bummer done. i know right <laughs> no ghost hunters they're good. They're pretty good. They're pre-Ghost I've Adventures. literally never watched an episode of oh, it, Oh, we used to watch it religiously I know. growing up. My I'm mom just... loved it. It was on Wednesday nights. Ghost Adventures was Friday nights. Well. Well. I don't know what I what it is about me. I'm just very, like, so dedicated that, like, I found Ghost Adventures first, so I was like, everything else I think is... you would like Ghost Hunters. I probably would. Now as an They're adult, like, when I'm not so skeptical, stubborn. Like you. Oh. Yeah. I like that. Not yeah. like Zach Bagans, who's like, oh, yeah, no, no, no. The ghost is dead to touch my leg. They're like, yeah, if we didn't find anything, we didn't find anything. See ya. Like, yeah. Anyways, so it's on an episode of Ghost Hunters. I haven't seen the episode, obviously, but apparently they capture unidentifiable sounds and lights. So. I vaguely remember it, and I vaguely remember it being like a huge logistical feat to try and like get all their shit set up. Mm like in ships and like in the moment yeah i can't imagine how like cramped that would be and how you'd even get like a good angle or like anything Mm -hmm. that sucks yeah so then at the uss arizona memorial people report seeing soldiers on the dock of the sunken ship and one particular soldier who apparently was shot after leaving his post 
during the bombings is said to haunt and wander on the deck of the ship when there's a low tide. Oh. So Yikes. he's just pacing back and forth. Oh, like, that's creepy. Yeah, super creepy. Others also hear voices and footsteps, hear huge, but there's one ghost in particular near the memorial that has a name, and his name is Charlie. Apparently, if a faucet turns on, a radio station turns on, or randomly changes uh, doorways that sway back and forth, or even, like, slam shut, people will just say, oh, it's just Charlie. But he's apparently harmless, so I guess, like, slamming doors isn't any concern. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My favorite haunting story, but, like, haunting in a different way, are you ready for this, is, yeah. like, mindfuckery. It has to do with famous author Lois Lowry. I don't know who that is. She wrote things like The Giver and Number of the Stars. Okay. She wrote specifically this book called On the Horizon, which is a collection of poems about two specific events one being Pearl Harbor and the other being the bombing of Hiroshima. Some background as to why she did this is that Lois grew up in Honolulu and hmm. she moved to Japan at 11. Makes sense. Yeah. When she discovered um, old home movies, she was inspired to write On the Horizon because in one of the movies, her father filmed her playing on the beach in either 1939 or 1940. And as an adult, when she was rewatching this footage, she saw in the background in the ocean was a ship. She showed this to a friend who was a Navy captain who confidently identified the ship as the USS Arizona. Holy shit. Yeah. And so Lois wrote this book to explore, quote, the connections that we all have to one another, end quote. She also stated, quote, I began to be haunted by the juxtaposition of a toddler playing on the beach, laughing, and in the background, 1,200 young men would very soon almost all be dead, end quote. Yikes. Yeah. Wow. So that's it. Love it. Ending it off. Fucking sad note. Good for you. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> well, it's about to get sadder. I love... Oh. <laughs> Is it? Yeah. Why? I'm talking about Adolf Hitler. Oh. <laughs> 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 and we laugh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's great. Uh, anything you want to add? About Pearl Harbor? Yeah. I had a family member die on the USS Arizona. Holy fuck. Yeah. Why do you say it like that? <laughs> I, I don't know. Never knew him, obviously. Right. I Damn. We never, should go there. I want to. When I went to Hawaii, it was under, like, um, part of the docks or something was fucked up, and so they were repairing it every day that we were there, so we couldn't go see it. Right. Like, there was part of it that was open, but the part that I wanted to go to, which was the USS Arizona Memorial, it was closed. Right. So I was like, well, there's no point. Yeah. I mean, there probably was a point, but, like, we could see other things versus, like, going to a half-open exhibit, and I would just be disappointed anyways. Right. So, I'd be so down to go again. I've been on the USS Lexington probably three or four times now mm -hmm. and it's like a self-guided tour and this whole thing and it was you know active during the same time and it's just every time is so good yeah so good you would love it so i'm stoked heck yeah yeah that's all i, I don't know it's sad <laughs> super sad super sad Incredibly i could not incredibly sad i could not imagine like living through 9-11 was sad on its own, but, like, it wasn't, like, an actual battle. No. Like, towers Yeah, we hit. talked about Gettysburg last week. Like, holy shit, the shit yeah. we've gone through is chump change compared to... Yeah. This shit. Yeah, totally. 
You want to learn about Hitler? No. Okay. Can we kill him? He's already dead. Probably. At this point, at least. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I read somewhere that the oldest widow from... It was, like, one of the wars. I can't remember which war it was. Fuck. Had died in, like, 2012 at, like, a hundred... Over a hundred years old. I think Hitler's dead. Okay. For sure. Okay. Um, so, Adolf Hitler was born at 6.30 p.m. on the evening of April 20th, 1889. Um, he was born in a small Austrian village of Braunau. Uh, that's not right. Yep. Maybe. I don't know. There's a lot of German in this. <laughs> he was born in a small Austrian village just across <laughs> the border from German Bavaria. His parents' families were both pretty poor. They were of, like, peasant backgrounds. His dad's name was Alois, um, and he was strict. He was distant. He was a customs official and pretty much expected Adolf to follow a career into civil service. Kind of did that, just saying. <laughs> but um, his <laughs> mom had led him into something else. Uh huh. His mom's name was Clara, and she was more compassionate and uh, liked Adolf a lot more. Uh, when he was six, he went to school and he was super smart, but he did not care about school at all, as a lot of smart kids don't. Mm-hmm. Um, he eventually left with a pretty poor educational record, and his dad died when he was 13, which. Kind of took away the pressure of him to get a job in the civil service. He wasn't really into that. He was a lot more into, like, creative things. So he went to art school and thought of himself as an artist and, you know, tried to take in diverse cultural influences like the opera and the theater and reading and drawing, yada, yada, yada. In 1907, he moves to Vienna Um, so that he could try and attend the Vienna Academy of Art, but his application got rejected pretty famously at this point. He was so disappointed and just felt kind of like a failure in general, because that's like the only thing he wanted to do. So he was disappointed about that, so he tries to get into the Vienna School of Architecture and failed at that because he was unable to provide a school leaving certificate, so he couldn't prove like he couldn't prove he graduated basically Mm. so nobody would take him 1909 to 1913 he pretty much didn't have any money uh he was still living in vienna but he was living in like a men's hostel which was kind of like today's equivalent of like living in a hotel shelter oh yeah he sold postcards which he drew of famous sites around like vienna and then kind of just does like odd jobs for a while During his time of, like, basically poverty, he started getting involved in a lot of, like, political activity. He went to different meetings, read a lot of newspapers, things like that. All of which pretty much had what would become a fascist uh, tint to them and an anti-Semitic viewpoint to them. So that started pretty young. Um, In 1913, he was... So he's in Vienna, right? And he is basically part of the, uh, what do we call it here? The draft. Okay, yeah. For the Habsburg Empire. But he tries to evade it by moving to Munich in southern Germany. He ended up, like, inheriting a little bit from his dad's estate, so he uses that to do that, dodges that draft, 
and he just kind of does what he did before. And then uh, the outbreak of the First World War happens. He ends up volunteering for service in the German army um, and joins the 16th Bavarian Reserve Infantry Regiment, which I think is ironic because before he's like, fuck this, I'm going to literally move to avoid being in the army. Right. And, and he's like, oh, just kidding, I'm going to volunteer. Like, <laughs> yeah. Okay. He was promoted to corporal and ends up being decorated with the Iron Cross for his services as he was like a runner on the front lines. That happened because he was like injured mm-hmm. during his job during like a couple of the battles. And it's here's the thing. One of them was like kind of legit. Second one, he supposedly had blindness from mustard gas. He's, no. So he goes to the hospital in 1918. He's laying in the hospital. He's suffering from temporary blindness due to a British attack with mustard gas. And he, like, suffers some... Like, he's getting better. He can see again. And then he suffers some kind of, like... Somebody gives him some kind of news or bad news or something like that. And he suddenly, like, goes blind again for a minute. So it's totally, like... He's a little bit of an exaggerator. Mm -hmm. Are we surprised by that? Not really. So he wants to stay in the army... And kind of sees it as, like, a purpose in his life, which he didn't really feel like he had. He thought it was art, but then he got rejected. So he's like, okay, I'm just military. That's my thing now. He gets appointed to the intelligence slash propaganda section. Isn't... Never mind. That what I do? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> okay. Pretty much. Did you fail art? No. Okay. I okay. never tried art. Oh, thank God. <laughs> We're just going to keep you away from the canvases then. <laughs> Oh, man. I didn't even think of that. I don't know how you didn't think of that. I don't know. I I don't know. I just typed. (laughs) I just typically typed away. So, during his time doing this, he's making speeches to the troops advocating German nationalism and anti-socialism, where he became, like, a pretty good speaker. Same. Also acts as an army informer, spying on small political parties, and he joins the German Workers' Party, which would eventually become the Nazi Party, which oh is renamed. Um, this was an extreme anti-communist, anti-Semitic right-wing organization. Where does Nazi come from? Is it, does um, it mean anything, like, in German? I, no. I mean, I, like, took out a lot of the... They had a lot of different names for it, and it eventually, like, the colloquial term became the Nazi okay, party. Okay, gotcha. So, so, in 1920, he's discharged from the army. He's super involved in the German Workers' Party, undertakes responsibility for publicity and propaganda, and he changes the party's name eventually to the National Socialist German Workers' Party, which we know as the Nazi party, for short. Mm-hmm. So, I'm assuming it's something in German that... Like with, with those words, yeah, yeah. yes. That party represents a combination of intense hatred for the politicians who they considered to have dishonored Germany by signing the Treaty of Versailles. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know much about that? I know the name better than the other terms that I used. Right. I'm sure my World War II teachers, if they listen to this, which they don't, thank God, right. would be very disappointed in me. So, a lot of different... Countries were involved in World War One, right? right? Just like World War Two. And when the Treaty of Versailles came out and ended World War One, it literally placed 
all the blame and all the reparations on Germany, which <laughs> sunk Germany. Yeah. Both, like, m- their morale was down and then their economy just tanked. Oh, I'm sure. So Because they had so much to pay. Like, it was a whole thing. Their whole military was gone. All of their economy was gone. Just, it was a whole thing. So... 1921, he challenges Anton Drexler to become the leader of the Nazi party. And after initial resistance, Drexler um, agrees and lets Hitler become the new leader of the party. Is he important 1921. Who? Drexler? I don't know. The name sounds very familiar. Sounds like a super, like, Anton Drexler. It does sound like like an evil villain show or something like that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Maybe I'm thinking of Drex. Maybe. Anyways. Fast forward to 1923, along with other right-wing factions and General Ludendorff, Hitler attempts to overthrow the Bavarian government with an armed uprising, which was known as what you might know as the Beer Hall Putsch. Never heard of it. Okay. Hitler and 2,000 Nazis marched through Munich. Yep. To this big beer hall. Mm Mm-hmm. And they try and take over this meeting that was chaired by three of the most important individuals in Bavarian politics. Defendants in the Beer Hall Putsch trial were um, guy by last name Pernit Weber, Frick, Kreibel, Ludendorff, Hitler, Bruckner, Rom, and Wagner. These were all dudes who were like eventually found to be like those who organized this huge coup, mm-hmm. basically. The next day after this all happened, Nazis march in the streets. Police open fire. Hitler escapes, but ends up being captured and tried for treason. Serves nine months in Landsberg prison. And that is where he wrote Mein Kampf, which is German for my struggle, which is a mixture of autobiography, political ideology, and kind of like his take on propaganda. Mm-hmm. So he's... Out of prison after that, 1925, he refounds the Nazi party, which had kind of crumbled after that because so many people were, like, arrested and tried and it was, the Nazi party was seen in, like, a pretty poor light. So Hitler refounds it, refinds it? That sounds weird. Refound it? Refounded it. <laughs> I'm just it. kidding. That's definitely not right either. It all sounds wrong. He finds this after he no. already had it no. before. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> he refounds the Nazi party. In 1928, three years after that, his half-sister, Angela Raubal, and her sister, Geli, Jelly, G-E-L-I, Geli. I'm not saying Geli. Okay, Geli. It's probably like Geli or right. something like yep. that, because Germans with their... Right. Um, they move into Hitler's house. Did he marry one of them? Hitler's relationship towards Geli, initially kindly, oh, eventually borders Kelly. on obsessive, fueling rumors that they were romantically involved. Hitler denies this. Just a little tidbit I thought I'd throw in there. Kelly? <sighs> yeah. Why Super. would you do that? Well, here's the thing. In September of that year, she's found dead at his house, and she was 23. Verdict, suicide. Bet. By how? <laughs> yeah. By cyanide? Just saying, like, a little sus. Mm-hmm. Super sus, especially if the rumors were going around. He did yeah. not want whatever reputation no. he had to be ruined. Nope. What a fucking ass. Yeah. So the next year, he becomes a German mm. citizen. Go ahead. Wait, so he potentially was a murderer? Yeah. Mm. Interesting, right? Very interesting. After everyone's been like, he's not a murderer. He ordered other people to kill, like Manson. It's like, he maybe was a murderer. But also maybe was. Yeah. Yeah. 
1932, he becomes a German citizen, which let him stand in the presidential election against Hindenburg, and he became first person to election year by aircraft. What? I don't know what that means. I wonder if it's like, um, like he would promote in the skies? Makes like with sense. banners and the attached to airplanes? That sounds right. Sounds like Smoke something. in the air? Mm-hmm. His campaign was masterminded by Joseph Goebbels, who ended up being, like, the head of propaganda yes. for the entire Nazi party. Yes. Mm-hmm. And he, yeah, he was, like, the head of his campaign, too. Um, and the campaign was called Hitler over Germany, which, um... That doesn't sound very pleasant. No. I don't like that. No. Hitler over Germany? It should yeah. be Hitler with Germany? Yeah, but you'll find that, like, once he took power, like... He changed everything to where, like, soldiers, instead of giving oaths to the country, they were giving oaths to him and, oh, like, no. things like that. So, it was pretty corrupt from the beginning. I'm not going to say anything. We just <laughs> got out of something pretty corrupt. So. Sure. Um, January no of 1933, Hitler becomes the chancellor of a coalition government where the Nazis have a third of the seats in the Reichstag. So, he was, like, a chancellor... He, he, like, had a portion of the Reichstag, which was, like, the overarching everything. Okay. Just the way that the government is set up. Mm -hmm. February of 1933, the next month, the Reichstag is destroyed by fire. The Reichstag was, like, housed in, like, a building, which they called the German Reichstag. Accidental fire. Yeah. Interesting how that <laughs> happens. The plot and execution is almost certainly due to the Nazis, but they point the finger at the communists and trigger a general oh, election. my God. Mm -hmm. March, next month, Hitler addresses the Reichstag on March 23rd of 1933, seeking assent to the Enabling Act, which the Enabling Act passed, which gave powers of legislation to Hitler's cabinet for four years, making him basically the dictator of the country. So he fucking weaseled his way in with all these little ins and outs. Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. He what proclaims trickster. that the Nazi party is the only political party permitted in Germany, and all other parties and trade unions are, like, not allowed anymore, and then individual German states lost any autonomous powers while Nazi officials became the state governors. So he totally overthrew the government that was, like, running and put in place his dudes. Mm -hmm. I would like to think that that wouldn't happen. But it did. But it did. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, the next month, he bans the Communist Party. The next month, he bans the Socialists and the Trade Unions and bans strikes. So, like, all workers' rights are gone. Oh! Mm-hmm. Oh, shit. Yeah. October of 1933, he withdraws from the League of Nations. And then in the following months, he triples the size of the German army, which was totally against the Treaty of Versailles, and ignores all the arms restrictions that were also imposed by the treaty. And then June of 1934, we have what is now known as the Night of the Long Knives, which is where he crushed all opposition with all, within his own party. So he found everybody in the Nazi party who had any dissent towards him and fucked him up. Oh, no. Which eliminated any rivals that he might have had in, right. within his own party. Totally. 
Um, July of 1934, President Hindenburg died and Hitler became the Fuhrer and the Reich Chancellor, which basically he took on those roles and took away, uh, like abolished the title of president, which no, is what so they had before. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? What does that mean? Fuhrer means leader or guide. 1935, Hitler rearms Germany with the aim of undoing the whole Treaty of Versailles and uniting all the German people. Military conscription is introduced, so it's the draft, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, March of 1938, three years after he'd done that, Chamberlain, Deladier, Hitler, Mussolini, and Ciano all signed the Munich Agreement, which was a big deal, and they invite Germany to and the German ar- army to occupy Austria and proclaim a union with Germany. So he's, like, making friends with a lot of different people. Right. Who were not friends with him after uh, World War One. September of 1938, the British Prime Minister Neville Chamberlain met with Hitler in Germany. Britain, France, and Italy signed the Munich Agreement, which gives the Sudetenland, which is, like, the German-populated borderlands of Czechoslovakia. It was, like, this, like, in-between spot that like a lot of german people lived in but like it didn't technically belong to germany he basically gives it to germany and that was like a really big deal that was like step one in world war ii october the next month german army occupies the sudetenland so they move in and then the next month in november what is historically referred to as crystal night or crystal knocked Mm-hmm. Um, 7,500 Jewish shops are destroyed and 400 synagogues are burned to the ground. 400? Mm-hmm. In one night. Holy shit. The attack is portrayed as a spontaneous reaction to the death of a German diplomat by a Jewish refugee in Paris. But it's actually orchestrated by the Nazi party who also kill many Jews and send 20,000 to concentration camps. And this is before the war is declared, pretty much. Kristallnacht is considered to be the beginning of the final solution in the Holocaust, which, like, I'm not going to go into that because that could be its own podcast and, and we literally, don't, everybody knows what that was about, so. Fucked up shit, that's what it was about. Mm-hmm. Killing innocent people. Yep. In 1939, a peace treaty with Russia was secured, which was called the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact. Molotov where, cocktail. Yeah, that's where it comes from. No shit? Yeah. It's Russian. Anyways, <laughs> I'm so sorry. I thought I was just being witty. Yeah, no, that's where it comes from. That's like a total Russian move. Molotov cocktail. Um, Hitler invaded Poland on September 1st of 1939. And after three works of lightning war, or what we call Blitzkrieg, the country mm. is divided between Russia and Germany. So it's taken over, and then Germany's like, hey, Russia, you can have half of this, and we'll take the other half. Um, like sick, bro, sick. Sick, bro, sick. September 3rd, which was literally two days after that, France, Britain, Australia, and New Zealand declared war on Germany. Hmm. 1940, Nazis occupied Denmark, Norway, Holland, Belgium, and France. They were, like, fucking taken names. They were. Romania and Yugoslavia are added to that shortly after, so, like, holy shit. June of 1941, Commander Field Marshal Walter von Brockich yeah. and Hitler studied maps uh, during the early days of Hitler's Russian campaign. So he's like, yeah, 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 we'll be friends, we'll be friends. And then he's trying to take over Russia. He's um, like, let's look at these maps together. Yeah, Tell me like, all about check it. Yeah, let's this out. Yeah. Um, they, uh, I don't 
fucking get it, dude. <laughs> Nobody in the history of every war, every single person who has tried to invade Russia, whether it be Napoleon, he got fucked, Hitler, he ends up getting fucked. Like, you don't try Japan Russia. Japan tried. You do not try Russia. They won for a bit, but. But did they? No. No. It's fucking Russia. It's, here's the thing. Their mm-hmm. people are insane. They are, like, proud to be Russian. And they will kill anybody yeah. that will try to take that yep. away. Also, their weather, oh my god. Their weather is totally unforgiving and they practice like a scorched earth mm-hmm. kind of idea where like if they think somebody's coming for one of their towns, bases, etc., they burn that shit to the ground and those troops have no resources and they end up killing themselves anyways. So, uh, Hitler doesn't care about that, so he starts Operation Barbarossa, which is the German invasion of Russia. Uh, 1941, Japanese Air Force attacks Pearl Harbor, so the U.S. is in there, but shit goes pretty far downhill. I'm, I'm literally just giving you this, like, very, like, <laughs> skimming the very top of World War Two and, like, how... Two seconds. Right. Because even just giving, like, very little information, you can see Hitler's, um, ego... And how it starts to fail him. And it starts failing him after the U.S. enters the war because by February of 1943, Hitler is commanding all of his troops. He's like, I don't care. Nobody surrenders. You will die before you fucking surrender. Like, that was his rule. So, but they were completely outnumbered and they ended up surrendering the Battle of Stalingrad. And from this point in the war... They're continually retreating, and Hitler is continually being pissed about this, firing or killing generals, commanders, people who are in charge who are making these decisions because they're like, everybody is going to die. Yeah. How about we just not die and we surrender, and he kills and replaces them. So he's on this crazed, like, ego trip at this point in the war. I'm going to say how sad. (laughs) It is sad. And I only say that because, like... He refuses to admit defeat and thus mm-hmm. making even more problems for himself right. and killing more innocent people. And I think I've I mean, got they're not too innocent some... because they're like right. Nazis. I but think like... I've got some insight on why he did that, and I'll get okay. that in a minute. July of 1944, so we just went from February 1943, which was Stalingrad, to July of 1944. A lot obviously happened in between there, but worth noting, Hitler survived an assassination attempt by Colonel Stauffenberg, who places a bomb in a briefcase under a table close to Hitler at one of his uh, mountainous compounds, placed it in the wrong spot, and it didn't work. Mm -hmm. Um, Hitler, like, pretty much... Everybody survived. He was, like, scraped. Like, not "Ah." not a lot happened. Um, But as a result, and if you want more on this, you can look at Operation Valkyrie or the movie Valkyrie where uh, Tom Cruise actually plays Colonel von Stauffenberg. Pretty badass movie. I love it. Hmm. Anywho, it doesn't work. And Hitler purged the army of all the possible people who could have done this. And by purged, I mean he killed them. Or had them killed. Worth noting, he actually survived several assassination attempts, including bombs that were set to explode at certain elevations or pressures that were placed on his planes, and they just didn't go off. Like, a lot of weird shit like that happened where, like... He got lucky a lot. mm -hmm. Like, a lot more than you'd think that a fucking fucked up person would. Like, a lot. Or like lot, because he is a fucked up person, like, of like, course he would get lucky. in Operation Valkyrie, the briefcase, had it been placed, like, 
just a little bit this way, just a little bit this way under this table. That all it was literally all the commanding people were at this meeting. So mm-hmm. Stauffenberg was like, "This is the one because this not only takes out Hitler, it takes out his second and third and fourth in command. Like it knocks out all these fuckers." The really fucked up people. Yes, and it was his own army that was seeing, like, these people, these commanders are not for the German people. They are literally just trying to kill the Jewish people. Right. And they, they were fighting against that. And, and so, by a stroke of luck, one of many, it just didn't do what it was supposed to do. Ugh. So the idea between Operation Valkyrie was Stauffenberg places bomb, expected everybody in there to die enacted what they called Operation Valkyrie, which was where, in the event that Hitler died, this group would become the acting government, basically. Right. And that was... It was a coup, essentially, that was was faked. Yeah, I see. Um, But it didn't work, and they all died. (laughs) Um, Jesus. January of 1945, Soviet troops finally enter Nazi Germany, and um, by April 22nd of that year, Hitler decides to stay in Berlin, which was just burning to the ground. It was being right. completely invaded. He ends up in a bunker, and whether or not you believe it, he and his brand new wife of one day. Oh my god, who? She would took cyanide and he killed herself. Him. She tried to kill herself several times before marrying him, and it just didn't work. You so. think he was just being Hitler about her? What do you He's mean? like, if you leave me, I'll kill you. No, she literally um, like shot herself in the chest. Multiple times. And, like, it didn't... It just didn't kill her. Holy shit. That's brutal. Yeah. Ugh. Yep, so she ends up taking uh, cyanide capsules, and he shot himself. Their bodies were taken by other German soldiers and were supposedly either not found or taken by Russians eventually, but... Either way. Not truly recovered by Germany. So, let's talk about Hitler and his drug use. Okay, I like where this is going. <laughs> so, uh, 1944, World War II was dragging on. The Nazi forces were, like I said, kind of faltering at this point. There were so many other huge countries against them. Mm-hmm. But somehow Adolf Hitler was just like super gung-ho, very positive, thought that they were doing great. And it turns out okay. several people, I'm going to specifically be citing an author named Norman Oler, whose research concludes that Hitler used a mix of cocaine and opioids that hmm. he had become increasingly dependent on. Mm-hmm. Not surprised. He, so Oler, if you want to know more about this, you can read his book. It's called Blitzed, which I think is hilarious. That's funny. Um, it's based in part on the papers of Hitler's private physician, who describes the role of the drugs in the Third Reich, citing three different phases of Hitler's drug use. Uh, the first were these like intense vitamins that were given to Hitler in like really high doses through an IV. Ew. The second phase was in the fall of 1941, which is when he first started with opiates and also started on hormone injections. I don't know if that was like testosterone or what, but like it was a mix of those two things. And then I bet it was testosterone. Oh yeah, to keep him totally. just fucking going. Fuel, it's like totally yeah. ready to go. Uh huh. And then in 1943, he just started on super heavy opiate use and like methamphetamines and things like that. So I think, do you think that his doctor was like, <laughs> "I'm going to prescribe to you these phases because I want you to be fucking psychotic"? Or did they? No, why? I think he was like fucking Michael Jackson, where the doctor really couldn't say no at that point. Mm-hmm. Like. 
He's more and more and more and yeah. more. The stress okay. is more and more and more. And he's so, just like, just like an addict. I'll do he's whatever like, I need you more. want. Yeah. I need more and more and more. Okay. Mm-hmm. So his doctor's name was Theo Morell. Uh, he met him in 1936 and Morell was famous for giving vitamin injections and Hitler was into that. The war got really difficult for Germany in 1941, especially against Russia. And in the fall, Hitler got sick for the first time and he couldn't go to one of his briefings, which was like totally unheard of for him. And so Morell gave him a little something different that day. Some cocaine? He gave him an opiate. Oh. oh um, and hormone well. injections. So totally testosterone. Opiates. Yeah. He was, like, lifting weights at the meeting. (laughs) Yeah, and Hitler's, like, he had a fever and then immediately felt way better. Um, And ends up going to the meeting, tells all the generals how the war should continue, how daily operations should continue. And he was, like, just super stoked about how he was, like, oh, my God, I felt so shitty before that. And now I feel fucking great. So he was into it. It's like taking six shots of fucking coffee. Yeah, the opiate was called Delantin. Hmm. And from that moment on, he asked Merle to give him stronger stuff than just vitamins. Um, which you can see in his, like, pretty obvious mental decline. Yeah. Uh, from the fall of 1941 to the winter of 1944, it was pretty significant. So, Hitler, like, whether or not he, like, realized he was addicted or what it was more just important for him to be able to function all the fucking time he didn't take any days off um he didn't trust anybody in his surroundings so he refused to take any days off or like let go of any kind of overseeing yeah and he made all the military decisions he didn't like delegate that to anybody else and so I don't know if he realized he was addicted or if he just said, I have to do this because I have to be on this all the time. Yeah. Or someone else is going to do it wrong. Yeah. Someone else is going to overturn my authority. Right. Right. It's super likely that he, obviously, because he was addicted to opiates, was suffering from withdrawals as well. Mm. Um, You can see some symptoms of that in the last months of his life. There's videos and... um, different reports of him like having tremors in some footage he also looks kind of shitty i mean doesn't he always i mean there's like footage of him like shaking the hands of like the the hitler youth or whatever um Ew. and he his whole body is just like shaking and it's is he like sweating yeah i, I i'm assuming but in black and white videos from 19 19- 40 they whatever you can't really tell 4k or whatever it's <laughs> called <laughs> we don't even have 4k in our definition definite is that what i said yeah Fuck. <laughs> something um i told you i have a stutter toads no you don't not at all definition that's what i literally just uh, said it's not a stutter my brain is broken <laughs> stutter would be like the de- de- definite definition Some historians think that he actually had Parkinson's, but a lot really um, contribute the the shaking to uh, withdrawals. Withdrawals, which I can confirm, people do that. I mean, people do shake with Parkinson's too. Yeah, so hard to say. I don't know. Doctor Morell writes in his notes that he is lacking the drugs that he had been giving Hitler in late nineteen forty four, and in forty five, the drugs just weren't available due to the wartime. The state no one's of making cocaine and opioids yep. anymore. <laughs> Merck, which was the company that is still 
in business today, but Merck was where he got Ew. those. And that the plant there in Germany had been destroyed by British air raids in December of 44. So Merck wasn't able to produce the opioids that he was using at that time. So he didn't have that to give to Hitler. And Hitler's like, oh my god, fuck. Um, <laughs> so this is what it feels like to die. Right. So that's kind of where that was at. And I also just want to put out there that this was not like an abnormal thing. Methamphetamines were actually given to soldiers really frequently in the 1930s. So they'd stay awake. Yeah, there was a company in Berlin called Temmler which developed a new type of, quote, medicine, which was meth, and they branded as Mm-mm. Pervitin and Pervitin methamphetamine, which is crystal meth. Oh, shit. It was perfectly legal and seen as a legitimate way of boosting your daily performance. It was legitimately seen as, like, a really potent cup of coffee. Oh, that's not what it is. No. Professor Otto Rank realized in 1938 that there was a medicine out there that was highly popular in German in the German civilian population, which was Pervitin. And he read a bunch of reports on it that concluded that methamphetamine reduces the fear level if given in high dosages, true, um, and reduces the need to sleep. So he started doing tests in 38 and 39 on young officers in Berlin and came to the conclusion that meth is the perfect drug for soldiers and suggested to his superiors, quote, we should distribute meth officially among the troops. And that is was done. That was so, the extent of his research? He's like, yeah, that boosts performance, but, like, don't give a fuck about the after effects and addiction rates. I don't know how much research was done on that at that point. It was a pretty new-ish... Drug. Mm Mm-hmm. So I don't know if they knew that, but yeah. So it's not like Hitler was, like, totally out of the norm in that. Like, that was a pretty fucking normal thing. (laughs) Especially if his goal was, like, I gotta be awake, I can't take days off, things like that. They're like, let's just give him some drugs, like... Very high potent drugs, so that's Hitler. <laughs> Holy shit! Did that's you know that Hitler in an oversight? I mean, I knew he had like drug use, but I didn't know it was like meth <laughs> given to him by like doctors. Yeah. I thought he was just some crackhead that's like snorting coke off the toilet and then going into his meetings. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't put that past him either. I mean, yeah, that's probably what he did, yeah. but I thought he was just a little more. You thought he was a little less classy about it. Yeah, I guess so. Because I don't think it was don't like officially administered about, to him. <laughs> Don't think very highly about Hitler. Oh. So I imagine he's like uh, ran the streets just being like, <laughs> cocaine. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. Oh, World War II. There's World War II for you. World War II is fucked. Yep. It makes me so sad. A lot of things make me sad. I just World cried War earlier really tonight. World War really me sad. Yeah. I wish, though, that, like, sometimes I wish that, or I think that maybe if past lives are a real thing, that I would have been, like, in World War Two. You would have been. I think so. I think I, if I was involved with World War Two at all, I think I would have been, we talked about this before, I'm way more interested in, like, the Pacific Theater. Yeah. And you're way more interested in... The European. Yeah. yeah. So, we were living two separate lives at that point. Mm-hmm. Sad to say. Yep. Maybe we were married. Who knows? <laughs> we'll be tomorrow. Today. Maybe we'll be today. Weird. Super cool. Nice. Yeah. Did you learn anything new about Pearl Harbor? Yeah. Like I what? didn't know anything about the ghosts. The ghosts are freaky. I've never really, yeah. 
I never really thought there were ghosts until, like, we tried to do an episode on this, like, a long time ago. And I was like, I literally have five paragraphs. Like, this is not mm-hmm. enough for an episode. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad I got to at least talk yeah. about it. Talk about the history and uh, some people that really helped. Did some good stuff. Yeah, really good stuff. Love it. So, yeah. Um, I liked your story. I really didn't know that much about Hilary because I didn't want to learn about a fucking psychopath. Yeah, total psychopath. Even though that word isn't real. It fits him. It does fit him. <laughs> we were watching last night, actually, a documentary about the Holocaust. I do not remember what it's called, but it's we watched like... 30 minutes of it, and then it was sad, so we yeah, turned it, it off. It was so fucking sad. It's on Netflix. It was featured on ours, and it was super interesting, and Jack was like, you're not going to like this. And I was like, fuck you, I'm going to watch it. And watched then... 30 minutes. She's like, I can't. I can't. It's so sad. <laughs> it's so fucking sad, because yeah. it has, like, people that survived the Holocaust telling their tales oh my god it's so fucked it's so sad i couldn't even imagine do you know why he targeted jews was there a reason pretty strong anti-semitic belief i i think that people like especially radicalized people tend to just focus on a group to be mad at that makes sense and so there was just a lot of anti-semitic sentiment around where he was and that he was exposed to like when he was younger and in Vienna he was the the content he was taking in and we do the same shit mm-hmm. if all we're looking at on Facebook is right wing or even just like extreme left wing any extremist bullshit that we're just taking in like taking being in, fed, consuming yeah. all the time you're gonna become that and believe that and he did that I think it's good to Especially with the power of social media nowadays, it is so good to, if you believe in something, do really thorough research on it and make sure that what you're reading about on some Facebook page is legit Mm -hmm. before you start basing your opinions on that fact. Don't get your news from YouTube. Don't get your news Don't from get social your news media. From Facebook. Take no. it as a way to connect with people. Yeah, what it was fuck, made for. That and that's all it is. Like fuck me. I I mean, we might not be the most politically correct people, but I'm never gonna look at a Facebook post and be like, you know what I learned today? Never in a million years <laughs> would I look at a YouTube video or a Facebook post and some random and person like be swayed in any way by that Mm-mm. because holy shit, I'd probably look at it and be like mm, that doesn't sound right no but Literally, i guess the only news i, I ever know. take from facebook is like the local newspaper and what they post like right. things that are happening in my town yeah and that is it the rest i'm just looking at people's videos and shit yeah fun and stuff anywho. and then we're looking at actual like news agencies that are like nationwide and stuff like that trying to get because every agency is biased. Yeah. Like, we can't just say that one no. is not unbiased. They're all you biased. Everybody's just... biased. Yes. It's true. Mm-hmm. But we need to try to be as educated and informed as possible because things like Hitler can happen again. That shit brews from the shit that we see today. Just like an inundation of a certain fucking... Idea. Yeah. And it brews into something and he had the perfect storm of the perfect audience the perfect heat the manipulation time the great depression was happening he was in the war like eh, it was perfect for him to crop up yeah anywho so i don't know i think this is our uh 
PSA to fucking be actually informed. Be informed. Be actively informed. Try really hard because I don't want to go through another Holocaust. Don't be a bigot. A mass genocide. (laughs) Don't be a bigot. Be accepting of all people because you never know. Things like Dory. Like, he literally was just put on a fucking cook line because they're like, you're no good for anything else because you're black. And he's a fucking hero. He saved more lives than any Mm -hmm. other person on that ship. Yeah, but he wasn't... He didn't give a fuck. Yeah. He wasn't saying, you called me the N-word. You did this to me. You did that to me. He didn't fucking care. Who knows what any of those people that he saved did to him at one point in his life or another. But he still saved their lives. Like, it just blows my mind of, like, how... (laughs) I don't understand how we can be so fucking hateful when... I don't get it either. Everybody's got a heart. And as much as we think somebody is wrong... And we know that they're wrong for whatever things, such as Hitler. He was wrong for the things that he did. You just never know. Yeah. Is he a Hitler or is he a Dory? <laughs> hard to say. It's hard to say nowadays. Uh, um, that's I'm done ranting now. Okay. <laughs> be a good person. Holy shit. Yeah. Bear. And I'm holding Butter's be a Whisker. Good bear. I hate cat whiskers. Why? They make me uncomfortable. They're too thick. It's just like dog whiskers. No, I I know I don't like those either. I don't like them when they're out. I want them to be in his face. Okay, let's go reattach it real quick. Please do. Anywho, (laughs) you can find us on Instagram at Who Knew Podcast. You can email us at Who Knew Podcast six 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 at gmail dot com, or you can find us on Patreon and a couple other spots on our link tree. Just go to Instagram. You can find everything there. Yeah. Otherwise. Otherwise, that's it. Next week, I don't know what we're going to do because we haven't done the research yet, but it'll be another life-changing thing for the world or America, depending on yep. where we go Welcome with to what June. the topic Welcome is. Welcome to Pride Month. Welcome to Pride Month, where we make you depressed. Yep. Yep. <laughs> uh, but also, happy Pride. Yeah. I am a cisgendered female, mm-hmm. so I mean, I really... Yeah. I, I don't know. I really feel like I'm not the person to speak about this, but I... Yeah, you are. Am I? Yeah. (laughs) You are. Okay. (laughs) You're married to me. That's true. Anyway, the least cisgendered human on the on the planet, like the least cisgendered person on the planet. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I think now you're getting a little full of yourself. What? I'm just kidding. No, No, I'm kidding. I know you're not. Definition. You are not cisgendered. No, but I don't know. Pride Month is always weird. Which, will you tell everybody about your fun facts about what happens during your transition? What? Your first shot? What about it? It was oh, on... Oh, yeah. My first shot that I gave myself was on Transgender Day of Visibility. Like a, yes. And then what was my other one? That your 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 top surgery... Oh, my top surgery is in Pride Month. The second day, day of Pride Month is yeah, your top surgery. cool. Super cool. Didn't Super exciting. That, but, yeah. Not at all. I think I'm very thankful to be with somebody who's just loving yeah. and cares about me yeah and i think that if everybody cared about just that yeah we'd be in I've a different had world who like asked me like oh well sandy did you you know when you present as female is she gonna be like attracted to you like how could she be attracted to you if you're gonna be a male blah 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 and i'm like you know sandy just likes me yeah like <laughs> <laughs> it fucking matters like 
Yeah. It's a lot for both of us mm-hmm. to go through. It's a lot yeah. more for you to go through because yeah. clearly your body's changing yeah. with everything that you're going yeah. through. But, like, I don't know. If you guys ever want to reach out to us, if you have any issues, if you just want to talk about things, about anything LGBTQ+, plus. You're very. We're super open. We're. In- <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't say we're versed. I'm I learning. Am. Okay. <laughs> no, literally. Like I went through college trying to figure mm. out if I was straight, if I was gay. I played rugby with all the gays. Right. Gay. Went through that. Yeah. I'm a cop. And in the army and like all the like least LGBT friendly careers I fucking picked yeah. Them. So I don't know. I'd like to say that I. You are well traverse first. the You're waters. Right. I just, I think it's just an ever-changing thing, figuring yeah. out who we are and mm-hmm. what we want and what we love. And we're all learning. So if you want a safe space, like, please, you can reach out to us no matter what. If you're having yeah, a hard yeah. time, if you don't know how to come out to your parents, it was hard for me as that 27-year-old cisgendered woman, like, coming out to my parents being like, I'm dating somebody who is a female, but now they're not, like, they're... (laughs) We still haven't done that all the way. No, we haven't. It's a process, and it's hard, and we understand that. So, I mean, I don't know. I just want to be there for people. Totally. Because it's hard. Yeah. That's all I'm going to say. Sick. Okay. Super sick. Now I'm going to take this Butters whisker and reattach it to his face. Okay. And who wants to say bye? Bear? Bear. Everybody's like, it's four in the fucking morning. Bear, come here. go to bed. Come here, Bear. Look at the microphone. Like your lips a little louder. <laughs> Castle's like, I got this. This is my jam. Come here. Go. Oh! Oh! Oh. <laughs> He's like, I'll oh, bonk he my head. <laughs> head on it. Okay. That'll work. That's good boy. Bye.